And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. From the Gospel according to St. Mark, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If only the disciples could have seen the future on that day on the shores of Galilee. If they could have seen themselves proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom before governors and kings, before Greeks and Romans and even their fellow Jews. If they could have seen themselves proclaiming a new law and a new king. A proclamation which would earn all of them but two, the crown of martyrs. If only they could have seen could they have possibly understood the power by which they would do these things? Yet that initial call, that twofold call, was so incredibly simple. So simple. Follow me, the Lord says, and I will make you become fishers of men. All varieties, all kinds, all nations. The first, uh, the first part of that call on that day was a call to follow. Friends, no matter where, what we might be this day, no matter what our specific callings are, the most basic, most simple calling upon each and every Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. That means following Jesus where He goes. Not considering that we know the way in ourselves, but that we know the way in Jesus. Not considering that we know the truth in ourselves, but that we have met the truth in Jesus. Not considering that we have known real life in our own selves, by our own power, by our own understanding, but by our own in, or by our own industry or learning or even our ability to attain to ever greater medical advancements. But to know that real life is found in the person of Jesus Christ who has gone to the right hand of the Father. To follow Jesus means that all of our self-determination, all of our pride, all of our arrogance, all of that must die. It must die because of the, the immediacy of the Gospel. The call of the Gospel cannot wait. I cannot, it cannot be that you and I say, surely I have a lot more time left to enjoy myself, to grab hold of all the things that I want in life. Surely I have time to meet some of my personal goals before attending to the call of God. No, the call of the Gospel must be responded to now. And if you have responded to it, the Christian life is one of continually returning to this immediacy. Continuing to return to the urgency of discipleship. It is put simply that the Christian has been bound to life in Jesus Christ and should, as Paul puts it, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Beloved, this is a crisis in the church today. Half-hearted, lukewarm, negotiated Christian discipleship. It is not discipleship at all, but rather to have salvation without repentance, truth without martyrdom, and a kingdom without the necessity of turning away from the powers and principalities of this world, without turning away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is the pale, soft-core, milk-toast religion of the multitudes. And what we find it is, is that it is no religion at all. Religion as a word has gotten something of a bad rap over the last decade. 
But all it really means is what Paul is talking about in calling Christians the bondservants of Christ. Binding, the binding of a person to a vowed, bonded existence. It refers to the obligations of the, of the person to the state that they are in. And that state, beloved, if you are a Christian, is that of one bought with a price. A bondservant of Jesus, a child of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, and an inheritor of the kingdom of God. On my way home from church, I always pass by that little bail bonds office. You know what I'm talking about? It looks like a, it looks like a little old country western place. What you do, and, and I don't know if any of you have been in jail and needed a bond, but you know, we can talk after the service. Um, but but you you bind you bind yourself to the bondsman. That's how it works. He pays your bail for you, and he basically owns your butt for the next long while, no matter how long it is. And he can hunt you down and find you if he needs to. You become his. He owns you. The same is true with Christian discipleship. In becoming a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a child of God, you are his. That is Christian discipleship in a nutshell. To follow Jesus and no other. To be obedient to Jesus and no other. To respond in urgency. To respond in zeal. And to respond in love. The kind of love that means specifically the rejection of self-gratification in all its forms. And the embrace, indeed the surrender to, the self-denying, canonic love of the Savior. What needs to be said today is that it is this message, the clarity of discipleship, the urgency of following Jesus, not only repenting of sin, but turning to a new center of gravity in the incarnate Jesus is what opens up the way to becoming a fisher of men. Maybe you've attended a class or a conference on evangelism in the past. Maybe you've read a book about making disciples. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me and said, you obviously didn't go to a Christian college, did you? Because I'd never taken a class in evangelism. Shoot, I didn't even take a class on evangelism in seminary. There's something wrong about that. Maybe you've even led some people to Jesus. The church has not said so much about evangelism in any age since the ancient church as we've said in the last hundred years. I remember when I was a kid, the bishops of the Lambeth Conference in 1988 declared the 1990s the decade of evangelism, and they gave everyone a year and a half long head start to get ready for it. In the West, in Global North, it was a total unmitigated disaster. The churches of the West and the North and the Episcopal Church and Church of England shrank. In the Global South, it was one of the, great, it was one of the single greatest decades of the multiplication of disciples that the Anglican Communion has ever seen. I've talked to Nigerian bishops in the past. They said, in the 1990s, we went from 12 million Anglicans, 12 million Christians in our, in our, uh, in our province, which was gigantic by anyone's standards, to 19 million and then the 2000s went from 19 million to 25 million. Doubled in 20 years. In fact, it is one of the greatest factors driving the emergence of the GAFCON movement, which gave almost immediate life to this parish. Why was it such a failure in the West and the global North? 
Could it simply be that very few took the call to radical discipleship seriously? I'd like to suggest, however, another way to look at this. Because I can say, you know, radical disciples make disciples. That's just how it is. I can say that all day long, but, but I want you to listen to me in another sense. And I'd like to suggest just another way to look at this. One that gets to the heart, not only of evangelism, but what it means to be a people on mission. A people who understand evangelism. It's not about growing congregations until they're bursting at the seams, but at the very heart of Jesus' own mission to love and save lost humanity. When the Lord calls these disciples, He calls them not only to benefit from His saving work. Listen, He doesn't say, follow Me and I'll save your soul. He doesn't say, follow Me and I'll forgive your sins. He doesn't say, follow Me and I'll make sure you get to go to heaven when you die. What does He say? Follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. Indeed, in the other Gospel, He says, take up your cross and follow Me. But I will tell you, they're the same thing. It's the same call. He calls them to a commission. Meaning that the Lord's mission becomes their mission. As we begin this journey through the Gospel of Mark, a journey that will continue when we enter into the season of Pentecost, I want you to pay attention to the ways that Jesus is calling His disciples not just to benefit from the work of salvation, but to become those who share in this saving mission. There's a wonderful story that Zig Ziglar tells about the building of the railroads to cross this country. These uh, two men, when the golden spike was driven into the very center where the railroads came together, met up. One, essentially the CEO, and the other, an old man who was driving spikes still to that day. And they met up and they immediately knew one another. And the one man turned to the other and said, how you been all these years? And he said, Oh, doing pretty good. But he was a little sheepish about it because he was still driving spikes. They had started off in the same job on the same railroad. And this man had come in on the most fancy of Pullman cars. And the hardworking man turned to the hardworking executive and said, how did you get there? And he said, friend, let me tell you, 50 years ago when we started off working driving spikes. You showed up to work for 25 cents a day. I showed up to work for the railroad. It's just that subtle difference. Those who rise to the mission of Jesus show up to work for Him and Him alone. The simple way to put this is to turn you to the words of Jesus and the Gospel of John on the very day He rises from the dead. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. This is so important for, Christian, for the Christian to understand that you are sent out into the world just as Jesus was sent by the Father into the world by the same power for the same purpose and for the same divine plan. And you see this. Not only in what Jesus says to His disciples on the day of the resurrection, but on the very day He meets them for the first time, follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. We should say today that Jesus is the true fisher of men. That Jesus is the One sent into the world to make a great catch. To pull those who are His own up out of the water, up out of the grave even, To live not by natural breath such as fish breathe from the water, but to live by the Holy Spirit. 
three, these fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John, each possess the unique qualities of fishermen. They will work day and night without getting a catch and go out there to do it again the next day. They will endure storms and winds and scorching sun just for the thrill of bringing in a great catch. But this is not the only reason that Jesus calls them. Jesus calls these men not just because they are well-suited to the task or like Him, but because He, Jesus, is like them. I want you to see this. Jesus sees Himself in those disciples. He is a fisher. He's a fisherman. And He sees Himself in these And Jesus shows the endurance of His love, the steadfastness of His commitment, the urgency of His mission as He labored, and let's be clear, as He labors still at the right hand of the Father in prayer and priestly intercession. The Lord does not lose focus. He does not focus just upon loving the Father, but upon loving you and me and all those who do not yet know Him as Lord. You see, the call of the disciples, the call that they receive, To become fishers of men issues forth not from what the Lord Jesus is not and needs others to do on His behalf since He is unwilling or unable to do it, but from who He is and what He is doing and what He has done and what He will ultimately do. If you can catch this vision that the Christian is joined to the very mission of Jesus, then you will make disciples. No question. I remember uh, when I was a college student, I fell in among the navigators, and uh, I, I told them first off, I was like, I'm not, I'm not really the evangelizing type. And they said to me, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes. And they said, then you're the evangelizing type. And then they explained to me how wrong I was, and they, fair enough. But I want to say something about the heart of that mission. We often think that the mission of Jesus to this world is long since over. It's accomplished. It's done. It's over. It's already been done. All that stuff we talk about the creeds, it's happened. It's in the past. Not continuing on anymore. You missed it. The mission of Jesus to love and save a lost and broken humanity has been ongoing. He does not ascend to the Father's right hand to go on a much-deserved vacation but to more perfectly fulfill His vocation, a vocation of prayer and the outpouring of His life before the Father. We so often miss this. We are tempted to believe that the active life, works of charity and mercy are prime in the kingdom. Some people even go so hard to say they're the only thing. But look at Jesus. He goes to the Father to offer intercession. Beloved, we need to see this more clearly than ever that it is our privilege and duty to make intercession as the saints of God for a lost and broken world. To fast. To pray. That we do so today is not just good, it is proof that we are convinced of the primacy of God's grace. A primacy that absolutely must precede any human grasping, any desire on our own part, any work that you and I might do. If you look at your Christian life and you say, I'm so glad that I took the first step and reached out and grabbed hold of the very feet of God. I'm so glad that I took that initiative. You've missed it. You just missed the point. 
You didn't do that on your own. The Lord was calling you. The mission of the church of Jesus is fueled by intercessory prayer, starting with the Lord's body at the Father's right hand, right on down to His body, the church. What we come together today to do is to fuel that mission, not only by the work of intercession, which we will do in a moment, but by receiving the very body of Jesus into our bodies that we might be His body in the world. The second thing that I want to say about that mission is that it requires, by its very nature, going and sending. Someday you might leave this parish, and I hope it will be that you believe that you are not leaving, but that you are being sent. No one ever caught fish by staying on the land, afraid to get wet. The gospel mandate is that you and I must go out on the waters, out and away. There's an old legend about the Apostle James that he died before he could fulfill the Lord's call to be his witness to the end of the earth. I love this story. You know, I spent some time in Spain after seminary, and uh, the, the people in Spain would tell this story with, with twinkles in their eyes about how the Apostle James came to Spain. But they said his body was, according to this wonderful, fanciful legend, put on a stone boat and floated all the way through the Mediterranean, through the Straits of Gibraltar, and around to the northern coast of Spain, which is where they say his relics are to this day. And I say this because we need to grasp that whether in life or in death, you and I are witnesses. That's the point of the story. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been raised with Him to newness of life. What does this mean but that you and I are witnesses? Martyrs who will either in our life or in our death give witness to the Gospel. And if we can be sent to our deaths as witnesses and go to the ends of the earth as witnesses... Beloved, you can go next door. You can go down the street. You can go across the street. You can go to the next town. You can go where the Lord calls you. Finally, the work of evangelism and the mission of the church are not primarily individual works. We've had more than enough people say, you've got to go out on your own and you've got to go make disciples, and that's just how it works. No, it doesn't work that way. The apostles would have thought the idea of one person going out to fish with a hook, a line, and a sinker was crazy. They would have laughed at you. They worked on their boats as teams with big nets, each man fulfilling his specific duties. They were not out to catch a single fish, but out to catch many fish. Later on in this Gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs to go through the towns and villages proclaiming the Gospel. I mean, I often call this the, the Markan uh, uh, couch-surfing principle of evangelism. That's pretty much what he tells them to do. Go stay with people. Go just knock on the doors and stay with people. That's what you're supposed to do. What can we take away from this? Well, the first thing we can take away from it is that the church is the vehicle for evangelism. The church matters. The church is the continuation of the incarnate body of Jesus, and she is not only fueled by His life, but joined bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh to His mission. So the church matters. The second thing that needs to be said is that if you are married or have a family or roommates, your family and your household has a calling to proclaim the gospel together. Together. 
through hospitality, through other things. And I know it's COVID, so you can't have people over, but I know you still do, some of you. I do too. But we have to reclaim this ancient idea that every Christian household is a mission church. That's why we bless houses during Epiphany. It's the whole point. Your home is an outpost of mission for the church. And if you live alone, the first thing that must be said is that you are the church where you are. And your house is a mission church all the same. But I would simply ask you to do this, to consider the kinds of partnerships and friendships that the Lord could use to bring others into His kingdom out of your house. Friends, let us respond heartily to the call of Jesus to follow Him and become fishers of men. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.